All right, well, I thought this, uh, the study of Second John was, um, was a lot of fun for me, and I, I really appreciate your thoughts and questions that you've had uh, since this morning's message and your encouragement there. And um, many of you have asked really good questions, and so thank you for that. I think as I reflect on, on that text, I just think about um, uh, the wisdom that we need from the Lord. Uh, in discerning these things. We need, we need discernment. We need wisdom and try to think through it. And not all of us are going to fall on the, on the same, uh, in the same place as we consider um, inviting people, showing hospitality, inviting people into our home. Uh, and uh, so maybe a, maybe a question I should have addressed is what do we do about the people that knock on our door and want to come in and talk about their faith? What do we do about that? Well, you know, I think we need to use wisdom there. Uh, I, I love to engage the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that come to my door. They don't always like to stay very long. Once I start asking questions, they're like, okay, maybe we shouldn't come back to this place. <laughs> um, we like, I like to engage them and talk to them. Um, but I, I trust the Lord to give us wisdom as we, as we think about those things, uh, interacting with unbelievers. And specifically people are, who are preaching another Christ. Tonight I want to look at 3 John. Um, 3 John is the shortest book, letter here, a letter, and it, it's the size, it fits on one single piece of papyrus, so I read. I didn't actually test it out, but that's what I read. And um, uh, same with uh, the 2 John this morning as well. And um, it's a personal letter and it takes on that style of writing. It's a personal, personal letter, the, a letter. The author, again, is the elder, John. He's a, he's a leader in the churches and carries authority. Yet again, elder, the elder is writing. He, and he's appealing to that authority. So let, let me read these first few verses here. We'll, we'll separate this, um, like we did this morning, to, from the greeting and then the body of the letter. And we'll talk through how the body of the letter separates a little bit, too. Okay, let's read the first four verses here in the greeting. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Sound familiar? Hope so. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What do you think a theme might be again, yet again, this evening? Same author, writing a letter of similar size. Sounds to me like a theme might be truth. Love in truth. This letter is going to take on a little bit different of a flavor. Because he's writing to not just um, the elect lady and her children, not, not a group, a church, and the people involved in that church, but he's writing to a brother, beloved Gaius. Beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. He's beloved and he's loved in truth. Remember the meaning of this? We talked about this this morning if you were with us. Love that is based in truth. What do you mean by love in the truth? Love in truth. Remember that? We're saying we love 
that love has a, found, has a basis, though. It's, it's based, it's grounded in truth. Not just any kind of love, but it's love that's grounded in truth. And the truth that we find revealed in Christ and his word. That's the truth that John is talking about, that we're talking about here. So to love in truth means to love in a way that is consistent with the teachings of Christ. As we said this morning, if you're not loving in this way, you're not really loving. And this is what this letter is about as well. Love in truth. There's definitely a personal connection between the elder and Gaius here, just like there was a personal connection between the elder and the elect lady and her children in 2 John. But still, John here is appealing to his authority as an elder, just like he did in 2 John. He doesn't address himself as John to the beloved, to beloved Gaius. Now look across the page. In my Bible, it's across the page. Look at Jude. Jude addressed himself, Jude, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He addresses, he addresses himself by name. John here, in these two letters that we've looked at, addresses himself by position of authority. The elder, the pastor. An elder, a leader in the church. So there's this personal connection, but John here is going to appeal to his authority as a leader, as an elder. And Gaius is expected to recognize this authority. He's an elder. He's your pastor. So listen. Not not in a heavy-handed kind of way, like listen to me or else kind of idea. But his words are going to carry much weight because of the position that he has. We trust him. We trust our pastors. We love our pastor. Gaius trusts John. He loves him. And he recognizes, he ought to recognize, the authoritative position that he has. So it's going to be very hard for me to go against an elder. Because we love and trust him. Do we treat our pastors, leaders in the church like this? We love them, trust them. Because God has placed them in our spiritual authority. So it would be very hard for us to go against their teaching, their instruction. So, John here, also an apostle, but he appeals to his eldership. So John is going to make a request to his beloved friend Gaius. John needs some help. And he's going to write a letter to ask for help. Doesn't that sound like something that we would do? Maybe an email, though, maybe a text or something, maybe a phone call. But John, he needs some help, so he's going to write a letter. I, I love this. This is like the stuff letters are made of, you know? This is it. He's going to write a letter. So, again, his request here, like Second John, it here, again, might cause some conflict. Here, specifically, might cause some conflict between Gaius and Diotrephes. We'll, we'll get to him in a minute. Um, but he's got some strong language here. Okay, so theme here, a theme here is truth in love. Love in truth. Truth and love. Love in truth. So just like from Second John. And Third John, he gets a little bit more specific here. He's going to deal with like a real life issue, a need that has arisen in the church. He's going to deal with false teaching as well, like we saw this morning. He's going to address conflict between two people, Gaius and Diotrephes. 
and he's got some strong words. So, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So, John expressing in kindness that he's praying, he's hoping that he is doing well. But mainly, he's hoping and praying that he's doing well spiritually. Do you see that? That it may go well with your soul. Do we have these kinds of prayers for our brothers and sisters? We have these kinds of hopes, wishes, prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we look across this room, as I look across this room, as you look across um, this room, do we have these kinds of prayers for our brothers and sisters that, yes, they would be in good health, but that they would be doing well spiritually as well? So, so often we get prayer lists for um, people who are in uh, having difficult health issues and won't be praying for that. But how are we praying for that? Are we praying also that they would, in this, grow spiritually? That things would be well for them spiritually? Um, now, as somewhat of a side note, as a warning against false teachers, I'll just refer, refer to this morning's message, um, one author reminds us of this. Some English versions translate uh, the infinitive as prosper. Okay, so look with me. That all, as, um, that all may go well. Okay, so you see that in verse 2. That all may go well um, with you. Some people, well, some English versions, and maybe some of your English versions as well, translate the infinitive as prosper, that you may prosper in everything, leading some readers to think of material wealth. This commentator goes on to say, the health and wealth gospel assures 3 John as a place, a place in the modern history of interpretation. One morning, Oral Roberts opened the Bible for a word from God and read the first verse his eyes fell upon, which happened to be 3 John 2. Just a side note, don't do that. Okay. He took this verse to be a prompting of the Holy Spirit to begin a ministry of whole person prosperity. Over time, this verse became what Roberts called the master key of his ministry, for he read it to say, despite the Greek, I love that, despite the Greek, that God desires above all things that Christians have the fullness of prosperity here and now, an interpretation that corrected his previous view of the virtue of Christian poverty. Kenneth Hagin followed Oral Roberts by using 3 John 2 as a direct promise from God to all Christians. So please read your Bible in context. Read, read your Bible carefully. Don't just think, I'm going to open my Bible to wherever I, and just assume that God has led me to that and rip a verse out of its context and just say, see, see, see what that English translation says right there? That God desires that above all for me to be wealthy and healthy. May this serve as a warning. Remember 2 John, watch out for these kinds of false teachers, deceivers, antichrists. Antichrists. This is simply a wrong understanding of what this word actually means. And these guys are basing their ministries, false teaching, on it. And even if it meant prosperity, 
we know that true, true prosperity is not found in material things. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We don't see that anywhere in our experience. And it goes to show that these kinds of preachers can't get enough of it. They just want more and more and more wealth, more and more and more things, more and more stuff. True happiness, joy, satisfaction, being prosperous is only found in Christ. That's why he says, we'll, um, he says here, that it may be uh, good, that you may be in good health, and it goes well with your soul. You're doing well spiritually. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I think it's pretty cool that John knows about how well Gaius is doing because of people that have seen Gaius in action, that have seen his life. We'll see in a minute who have been in his home for a seemingly an extended period of time. And their report is he's walking in the truth. He's walking in the truth. You see that walking in the truth is, is of utmost importance. This is what brings John so much joy here. You ever feel that way when you see someone you have mentored being faithful, walking in the truth? You spent so much time investing, pushing, pursuing a particular person. That may be one of the greatest things about being a youth pastor for 10 years. Not all of them, not all of them turn out, but you get to see people grow up and be faithful followers of Jesus. Maybe you've seen this too. Seeing your children follow Christ um, when they're on their own, making their own decisions about life. That's got to make you just rejoice in the kindness of the Lord because we know how imperfect we are at raising them. We know how imperfect we are at discipling, mentoring, pursuing, and pushing. We know how imperfect we are at that. And we just say, praise be to God that he would use his word to change people, that they would be walking in the truth. So, side note, invest in people. John has done, invest in people. You'll find so much joy there. It's not where our ultimate joy is found, but we, we see so much joy when people um, are growing. And just also, when we walk in the truth, when we walk in the truth, we bring joy to others. Your faithfulness has an effect on other people. It's really sweet to see I give this example of my, my brother, my older brother. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I was in Bible class at our Christian school, and we were taught in a systematic way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, we were taught this, and then my Bible teacher says, okay, let's go do it. Seventh grade, all right. Let's go on the Illinois State University campus and talk to people about Jesus. We're like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we were, some of us were pretty, I was actually pretty excited about it. Yeah, let's talk to people. And then, of course, when I got out there, I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, so, uh, but it was really, I was really encouraged and enjoyed that. 
my brother at the time um, I didn't want anything to do with that. In fact, we signed up to go on a New York City mission trip. And uh, my parents would drop us off on Thursday night to go door to door on Illinois State University's campus and to talk to people about Jesus. And my brother would walk home before it even started. I remember thinking, how can you be a Christian and not want to tell people about Jesus? Is that possible? I think not. And so I remember staying up late with my mom and dad and praying and crying that James would come to know Jesus. And so he was a year older than me. He's in eighth grade at the time. And that summer, we go on a mission trip. Not that you should take unbelievers on mission trips. Um, but James and I went on this mission trip, and the Lord changed his life on that trip. And he looks to that, day, that time as when he became a follower of Jesus. And when he changed, it had a profound effect on me. I thought, man, if God can change him, he's a great God. So when we change, it's, we're not in isolation. For one, we're in a body. We're also, many of us are in a family. When we change, it has a profound effect on other people. And we may not even see it. But I praise the Lord for his work in my brother, both my brothers, actually. So let's take a look at the body of this letter. Uh, the body of the letter, he's going to give the reason for writing in the first few verses, first few verses in verses 5 through 8. And then he's going to, in the second part, he's going to talk about this guy named uh, Diotrephes. Oh, I'm saying that right. Diotrephes. And... Um, in the next few years. And then he's going to affirm this guy named Demetrius. So I might get those two guys mixed up occasionally, but just track with me. Diotrephes is the first guy. Uh, Demetrius is the second guy. Okay. Let's look at this. Okay, so first one uh, point, he's going to give the reason for writing, and point number one is show hospitality. Be hospitable. The se- this section is the purpose of the letter, verses 5 through 8. This is why he is writing. Okay, look at the first couple of verses here, verses 5 and 6. Beloved, Remember, he's talking to Gaius, and he uses that term beloved again. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay, so his point is to show, the point here is to show hospitality. And he's going to make a request that he shows hospitality to more people. Now, look, Gaius apparently took in some brothers that John had sent his way, even though they were basically strangers to him. Gaius opened up his home. He said, I'm, gonna st- I'm sending you some people, and Gaius is like, whoever they are, bring them on. And John is pleased to tell him that the brothers that stayed in his home spoke very, very highly of him. And he's walking in the truth. Remember, we just saw that. This is what the brothers have said. They came and they testified to your truth. In verses 3 and 4. Indeed, you are walking in the truth. Verse, verse 3 there. But also, they see Gaius's love. Love. Verse 6. Who testify to your love before the church. How, how would others speak of um, our home life? They, they stayed with us for some time. 
How others speak of our home life. Where they say, man, they are walking in the truth. Not that everything's perfect, trust me. Not everything's perfect. They, they are walking in the truth. They're faithful followers of Jesus. This is a faithful thing that Gaius has done. You see that in the very first line there, beloved? It is a faithful thing that you do. It's faithful. It is rooted in faith. He is a believer, a faithful person. Same word, belief, faith. He is a believer in Christ. And this shows in the way that he acts through his love and his walking in the truth and his hospitality, his love and hospitality. John has heard really good reports about Gaius' hospitality. And John's request there is um, hard to see in the ESV translation. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. It, it looks like to me in this translation that you, you do well to send them. It sounds like he's saying, kick them out of your house. You do well to get them out of your house and go. But it's like, was, it wasn't just appealing to his hospitality, his kindness. Um, because I, uh, the you do well phrase should probably be translated or understood as like, please. A, a kind request. Please send them. And to send them on their journey, it sounds like he's saying, kick them out. But I thought they just gave him a good report to John. So where, so those men just gave a good report to John, and now John is saying to Gaius, send them on their journey, but I thought the guys were over here. What's going on with that? Well, to send them on their journey has the effect of it's actually a request to take them in as they're passing through. Maybe like launch them out as they go. Keep them in your home as, they, as they're there and launch them into your neighborhood and beyond. Does that make sense? Send them. Not kick them out, but send them. And that's going to be reflected here as we, as we go on. Um, and, and do this in a way that would honor God. See that in a manner worthy of God. Do this in a way that would honor God. Re reflect the kindness, the grace, the generosity that God has towards us. Wouldn't we want to just give that more and more to others? Show hospitality. Why, 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 why the kindness, though? Why do something like this? Why welcome them into your home? Um, verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. These brothers have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ. And, oh, they didn't need help from unbelievers. The generosity of Christians is more than enough. The, the Christians take on the responsibility and the privilege of supporting people like this. And we ought to be uh, supporting people like this so that we can join them, join with them as fellow workers for the truth. You see that? Verse 8, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Does this help flavor a little bit what Second John is talking about? Maybe a little bit? As we looked at that context of itinerant, traveling preachers and teachers. Do you get a picture of what's happening in the first century? This kind of 
teaching and preaching needs support from believers all over. So they can go from town to town to town for the sake of his name. So that the gospel, the good news, the truth would get out. This is why we support missionaries that aren't from our church or sent from our church. But we know there's a need and we want to help out, if at all possible. And we do this in our missionary support list. So, application, show hospitality. Open up your home for people, especially if they're brothers and sisters proclaim the gospel. Open up your home for people. If a believer is coming through, if, let's say, for example, a seminary student needs a place to stay, or a prospective seminary student needs a place to stay, to put it in our context, or, for example, a preacher that is going to be preaching for church camp needs a place to stay, When we want to open our homes or open up our homes or a visiting pastor, we ought to be opening our homes for people like this. And this will be like a direct application for what's going on here. If a brother or sister is struggling, maybe, and needs a place to stay or be supported, we got their backs. I've seen this in our church. It's, I mean, that's it's been really sweet to see this. I mean, these examples I've given have just seen the generosity of people in our church. Over and over and over. It's been really sweet. I've seen this in our church, and it's a rebuke to me. It's a rebuke to my selfishness and sinful desire for ease and comfort. Open up our homes. The second part of this is from verses 9 through 11. And look what he says here. Look at verse 9 through 11. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Okay, look at how he characterizes this guy. I mean, Diotrephes. I like the way, uh, I don't like, it's interesting the way that he starts. He likes to put himself first. He desires to be first. Interesting place to start, isn't it? Oh, how, how often do we fall to this sin, to this temptation, desiring for ourselves to be first? I want my way. And if I don't get my way, then I'm going to be upset. I'm going to talk bad about people is what we're going to see that he does here in a minute. I'm going to be upset. And if, I, if we want something and we don't get what we want, would we be tempted to even undermine the pastors or our spiritual authority? Oh, man, it's so sad when this happens. And being in a youth pastor here for 10 years, seen it. People don't get what they want. Let's undermine whatever else is happening. And that's what happens here. This is what Diotrephes is doing. He does not acknowledge his leader's authority. Again, not as if they're being heavy-handed, you have to do this or not, but... He's not submissive. Look at 
verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And, he, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. I mean, look what he does here. So look, look how he's characterized in that first part. Now look what he does. He says bad things about his leaders. How, how do you speak about your leaders, your pastors or deacons? Do you speak negatively about them behind their backs? Or are we quick to resolve issues to their faces? Going to them. Like John is here in letter form. One of the verses recently that I've tried to memorize, I like it because it talks about firewood, but this is what it says, and it's super convicting. Proverbs 26, 20 says, for lack of wood, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, gossip, quarreling ceases. It's a reminder for me to be careful with my words, cautious, careful with the things that I'm saying, especially those God has put in authority, spiritual authority over me. Also, Diotrephes doesn't welcome fellow Christians that the elders have endorsed. In fact, he throws them out of the church if they disagree. People that want to welcome the brothers, he stops those that want to and then says, no, you're not going to welcome these guys that John has sent. And if you're going to welcome them, I'm sending you out of the church. I mean, this, this guy sounds like bad news. So, verse 11, I mean, he's pretty clear. John's pretty clear. Don't be like him. Don't imitate evil, but imitate good. Imitate what's good. Look for good people and strive to be like them. Because the one who does evil has not seen God. Verse 11 is like one of these proverbial kinds of statements again. We talked about this morning. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So look at people who are doing good and imitate. Strive to be like them. People who refuse to practice what Christ has taught, they do not have God. If someone claims to be a follower of Jesus but doesn't actually follow Jesus, he's probably not a follower of Jesus. Is that rocket science? Say it again. Someone claims to be a follower of Jesus but doesn't actually follow Jesus, he's probably not a follower of Jesus. And the last thing that John does is affirm Demetrius. Um, and I don't know if he could be affirmed by any more people than he is affirmed. <laughs> Look at this. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also had our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I mean, <laughs> this guy is a great guy, it sounds like. Demetrius, everyone, first, everyone speaks well, well of him. Second, the truth speaks well of him. What, what? And then third, the elder personally affirms him. And you know you can trust this guy. You know you can trust the elder. The elder. So let him in. Show him hospitality. Everyone speaks well of him. What a testimony. The truth itself affirms him. In other words, th this approval moves away from the opinions of people. But when compared to the truth, compared to the teachings of Christ... He falls right in line. That's what he's saying. The truth affirms him. He's following the truth. Or to say it another way, 
He's walking in the truth. He's walking in the truth. They've testified to his truth. Verses 3 and 4. Demetrius so clearly, uh, one author puts it this way, Demetrius so clearly and publicly lived his life according to God's word of truth that when measured by that standard, his faith was confirmed in the quality of his character and devotion to Christ. Oh, that this would be said of us. (laughs) Not that we're perfect, but we're above reproach. We're striving hard to live like Christ in all areas of life. Godliness just pours out. So the elder personally affirms him, so let him in. Take him in. He's coming. Again, in the final uh, few verses here, um, John expresses his affection just like he did in 2 John. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. It sounds like they have a lot to talk about. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So, one uh, pastor I was reading, I read him, picked him up this afternoon, and he asked this, this question as he preaches through Third John. This is what he asks. Why go to all the trouble? It seems like work. To love, to love in truth, to be hospitable, why, why go to all the trouble to follow Jesus Christ? And he says this. I thought this was good. I, I don't know if you've ever thought of the Christian life as a bed of roses, but it is, at least if you include the thorns. Like, that's pretty good. <laughs> I can understand why some people would question, why go to all the trouble? Why not spend Sunday staying at home watching television and reading the Sunday paper? People do that in the paper? Okay. Why not, why not do that? What, you, you can believe God in the privacy of your own heart, right? Why go to all the trouble of being involved in a church? For my own words, aren't there people at church? We don't need organized Christianity, he, he goes on. Well, there are two basic answers for why you might go to all the trouble. Depending on whether you are really a believer, you go to the You go through the trouble either for God and his gospel or for yourself. In the first case, real truth and real love show themselves as you give yourself to others. You want everyone around you to know the good news about Jesus. In the second case, your life is simply a show, fueled by ambition and directed by self-interest. Do you see how that second case sounds like Diotrophies, fueled by self-interest, all about me. The latter there is what we see in Diotrephes, only concerned about himself being first and not concerned about the interests of others, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. Definitely not listening to a spiritual authority or submissive at all. So, let me leave you tonight with just a few points of application um, number one, show hospitality. Show hospitality. O- open, up, open up your home to people. We saw this a little bit this morning with the, in the example of our good friends Brody and Liz. O- open up your home to people. I mean, he's asking 
here for believers specifically to allow people to stay in their home for long periods of time as they're proclaiming the gospel to people. That's a significant commitment. And is it hard for us to open up our homes for an evening for our brothers and sisters? I hope not. And from what I've heard in the past, I don't know if this is still true or not, some ABS classes have trouble finding people to host grace gatherings, to have people in their home once a month maybe. Hospitality, opening up our home. In fact, hospitality encourages community, togetherness. There's um, a, an ancient proverb that says this. This is not scripture, but I, I like uh, the, the sentiment. It says this, you don't really know a man until you've eaten a pound of salt with him. Sounds disgusting. Because you don't eat a pound of salt in one sitting. Right? You have him over into your home. Eat a little bit of salt. Not just salt. Give him some food. <laughs> Get to, is it a regular thing for you to invite people into your home? Maybe you remember that the pastors and deacons a few years ago decided to move the Sunday evening service earlier from 6 p.m. to 5 p.m. so that we could have people into our homes more often after the service. So how's that going tonight? Okay, no pressure, obviously, for tonight. Um, it's not what I'm trying to do here. Um, but are we opening our home to other believers? Are, are we striving to, to build community for the sake of the gospel in our neighborhood? Strengthen the bond of unity that we have around the table. Uh, application point number two, support God's workers. Unbelievers aren't going to fulfill this responsibility. It's ours. We need to step up and find ways to give to those who are working hard to proclaim the gospel from our neighborhoods to the nations. Sacrifice so we can give more. Work harder. Work more so we can give more and more and more. Remember Ephesians 4? Don't steal, but work so you can make money, so you can give it away. So, so we support missionaries. We support Virginia Beach Theological Seminary, Union Mission, MTM, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Grace Biblical Counseling, etc. on and on. This is our responsibility. This is our privilege to be giving and giving for the sake of the gospel. Number three, stand firm on the truth. Does that sound familiar from this morning? Stand firm on the truth. As Christians, we are sometimes exhorted to overlook the sins that others commit against us. Sometimes we are. We overlook insult from Proverbs 12, 16 occasionally. We're called to be forbearing or patient with one another as people grow. Side note, this is needed a lot in youth ministry. You're not, not going to sit and correct every single thing that you see is all you would do. And you wouldn't... Um, have any, any inroads with a teen that's struggling. Not every point that arises in the life of congregation warrants confrontation. We need wisdom here. We need gentleness and mercy and kindness and grace. But we also need to be conf confronting. But here's when we do need to for sure confront. When the truth of the gospel is at stake, conflict avoidance that masquerades as Christian piety is not spiritual strength, as one author puts it. We don't back down when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we stand strong and we confront. Love does not trump truth. We might think, well, I don't have love for that person. Love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, love for that person. We're not going to confront that false teacher. And here, he does it. In 2 John and in 3 John. It's exemplified by the elder. Diotrephes is compromising the truth and undermining the teaching, teaching of the spiritual leaders that God has given to the churches. He needs to be confronted. So yes, be patient and gracious with people. Forbear with one another. But if someone insists upon another gospel, don't back down. Number four, die to self. Lastly, die to self. Stop thinking of ourself first and insisting upon our own ways and our own interests. Give up your personal desires. We really... We really don't know what's best. We really can't predict the future. Sometimes we think, we, we think we're pretty good at predicting the future. Well, if this happens, then this is going to happen. Really? We don't really have the best and greatest view of the world and how it works. We, need, we actually need other people's help. So we don't like to put ourselves first, as Diotrephes does. We shouldn't. Like for herself first. Be humble. I need to be less opinionated. That's a struggle for me. Less opinionated. More gracious. More humble in the way that I live. Or, to put it another way, love one another. Love one another. Let's pray to that end. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this little letter that we get to see from the Apostle John. And we get to see how he writes, how he encourages, how he exhorts and rebukes. Help us to be careful in this, to take care in this. Help us to not insist upon our own way. Help us to dislike putting ourselves first, but in humility, be more concerned with the interests of others. Outdo one another in showing honor. As Jesus put it, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. Help us to be people who are loving of one another so much that we would invite them into our home. That we would open up our homes and our lives to show kindness and love for each other. To support people who are faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ from our neighborhood and to the nations. And Lord, may we stand firm on the truth, not backing down. Not allowing people to compromise the message of the gospel. Being okay with differences of opinion. Being okay with different convictions that we have, but not okay with a different gospel. May we be precise in our teaching and in what we believe. For your namesake. We pray these things in Jesus' name.